0: Hey team, welcome to episode 72 of Transition Talk where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. Well, in this episode, we are speaking to the buyers out there who want to desperately know how to identify a good practice opportunity versus a bad one. How do you recognize A, as our fearless leader Charles would say, don't mess it up opportunity? And what are some red flags or not so obvious factors you should watch for when considering practices? We've answered some of these questions throughout our past episodes. If you're an avid listener, maybe you could lead this episode. But we want to bring it all together in one episode. And fun fact, this episode came as a suggestion from a fellow listener of the podcast. So thank you, Sunam. We're excited to answer your questions and provide some insight before we get going. Mr. Loretto,
1: how are you? What's up, girl? Have you had any Easter egg hunts up? We had Easter coming up. Have you gone on any of the Easter egg hunts lately? Oh, with the...
0: no. I'm saving up all of that goodness for soon.
1: Okay, so I got a story because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a storyteller. So <laughs> I went to my first adult Easter egg. Have you gone adult Easter egg hunting yet? Uh, no. So we had prizes, and then, of course, it, it led with alcohol afterwards. Were but there it, little
0: mini bottles of alcohol in it, the eggs?
1: There were money. It was yep. actually a charity it was a good cause so we threw a bunch of money in and but you did get some prizes and so what happened was is they have like 150 eggs and they put like 35 eggs with numbers on them and that's where the prices were the numbers of you didn't know them so these two ladies run this organization they hid all of the eggs like 100 something eggs up and down the main thoroughfare of this where we are the legacy west Mm -hmm. area with restaurants are inside the plants and all that and so then we had a little meet, and then we all ran to go get the eggs. And that thought there wasn't too many men there, so don't take my man car for that deal. But a woman saw all these eggs, a little crazy woman, and she went and she stole all of the eggs.
0: Not part of this egg <laughs> Not hunt? Not part of the deal.
1: <laughs> just walking by, she saw something going with all the eggs and just thought it was creative. And like, well, what's going on here? We approached her, and she just didn't want to give her eggs out. So it kind of messed with our thing, but we made it still really fun. So anyway, it's getting to the Easter egg hunting time of season, so I thought I would share just a crazy egg That's hunting very story.
0: interesting. <laughs> I'm gonna have to like organize one of those for uh, my adult crew in the hood. Yes, uh, yeah. I watched year. one
1: last night where the women had hid certain types of beers and then each of the men had the certain six packs that were empty and they had to go around to try to find the beers that match. Yeah, people first- are
0: getting like very into this holiday situation <laughs> you're gonna love this segue i thought of this while you're talking so this episode is all about finding like the various easter 100- eggs 100 in our previous episode playlist yes well as our clients and listeners are sorting through their opportunities and choices and by the way if you need to find an opportunity that's episode two it's important to look at the whole picture and the whole story which we'll, we'll expand on today and it's easy to get caught up in the small details or the price or it should be x percentage of collections and really just let your emotion get the best of you but the numbers may look great but there may be other factors that will make you say no and vice versa and so today we have like the basics and i thought we could just go through and compare different practices or different kind of numbers that would make something like a don't mess it up versus a buyer beware and maybe something in between that's a little more like yellow flag for sure sure. yeah okay so we'll start with financials because that's the number one thing that, you know, clearly we're very involved in that and the number one thing that most buyers are concerned about. So collections, production, right? The relationship between those two. If you don't know the difference, then that's, you know, let's let's talk about that. Episode 36, episode four are, are kind of what we're talking about today. But most importantly, what it nets, right? So like what is going to come to me as the new owner of the practice before debt service and after debt service? And how does that compare to what I make now? So, so, Mr. Loretto, let's give everyone an example of like a don't mess it up.
1: Okay, so and I always just use the million dollar number because it's easy for math purposes. So you know, general practice, it was doing a million dollars, and there were nice, clean financials where it had a 55% overhead. It's clear that a person who did the valuation. It's clear that the CPA of the owner. It's clear that buyer representation. It's clear that the business makes $450,000. That would be a very, very good, nice, clean overhead for a GP practice. Price was very reasonable. Some 75% of collections, you're going to borrow $750,000, you're going to make $450,000 pre debt and after that, you're going to make like 380000 This is a don't mess it up. You mean, there's a lot of things that we'll talk about from building and doctor working back and all that other stuff. But high level, that's what I would want to see. The financials, clean financial statements are important. Mm-hmm. Consistency, what the practice was doing, clear explanations of when something was in line or out of line, all the add backs. I just, I really like clean financial statements and, and to show that this thing is making, I would say, good money. Enough where that amount of money certainly makes financial sense to both you and our team and and, and certainly you.
0: Yeah. And I think that most people who are listening can probably if you've listened to this you've listened to like the 36 does the deal make sense and you've under, you, know, you have a basic understanding of a profit and loss if you get one of these financials you could probably look at this and can identify that like don't mess it up. We've had some of you who have called and been, you know, we've set up a complimentary coaching call and you've said, you know, I think this is something that Charles would say don't mess it up, but I just want to like hear you guys say it too. So I think those are pretty obvious. I think the other end of the spectrum is pretty obvious sometimes too sometimes it's harder because there aren't as clean financials for these types of practices, but what's an example of something that's like a buyer beware from a financial standpoint?
1: Yeah. And again, uh, just dive into some of these things. Sometimes it could be the same million dollar practice just has a high overhead and now the business makes 300 or the senior doctor wants to stay back and work four days a week. So even on the million dollar practices, it it depends on the situations, the financials could be clean, but just all of the contingency, you know, not going to. An example where it's a smaller size practice. And one thing I want to point out and remind you is smaller practices from a top line collections, it typically is going to impact your overhead. It's going to cause your fixed costs just to be higher. You just don't get as much efficiency. So a lot of times your smaller practices that are, you know, less than 600,000, a lot of times just the overhead as a percentage is going to be lower. But you know, if you had a a $400,000 collection practice, say it's 450, a lot of times young buyers attracted to the smaller practice smaller practice collections, smaller price. So in that example, 450, that example, the price is 300. The practice doesn't make much money. Maybe it's making $125,000. You start running the math of, I need to borrow 300,000. Start running the math on that office, more than likely, you know, is not digital. I need newer computers. I ain't gonna need to fix this. I need to fix that, fix it. Next thing you know, you've got working capital. Next thing you know, you're buying AR. Next thing you know, that you're trying to invest back in the practice and you've got $450,000 commitment now all in to get this practice up to speed. It makes one twenty-five dollars After debt payments, you're making around seventy. dollars This is not going to suit well for you nor for the bank. So it's not jumping out at me as like, this is a don't mess it up. I'm not saying that you can't convince me that this is the most amazing practice of all time, but I need a story. That story is gonna have to be low debt, that story's gonna have to be I got spousal income, that story's gonna have to be about some of these other things that we'll talk about, which is you know doing some other due diligence and you selling me on just this amazing upside. Mm-hmm. On the surface, a lot of those smaller practices that have that higher overhead, low net, outdated stuff, They're just not jumping, and it's definitely not a not mess it up, okay? It's more of please sell me on it because it looks Mm -hmm. like there are some roadblocks or challenges ahead.
0: Yeah, and buyer beware, meaning buyer understand, educate, understand what you're getting into because you're going to have to do some legwork to probably make this work for you financially. Yep,
1: Yep. I like buyer beware. Buyer beware, it's just our job is to look at this and say, not saying you can't proceed, I'm just Mm -hmm. saying proceed with caution and ask and get answers to the following 10 questions. Yep,
0: give me an example of something that's maybe in that middle space, like it's not like the buyer beware just solely because of financials, but it's also not a home run, like what's that middle practice look like? And then I wanna dive into like all the other stuff we've been talking about.
1: Awesome, so this is a a young lady that I know that I've been working with her for the last several months, and, and we've just been looking at various practices. I think I've looked at like maybe four different practices for her. Super, super nice, and you know comes from a clinical background. So she did find this beautiful kind of fee-for-service practice. It's a smaller facility, but it's in a highly just successful, affluent area. Doctor seems very reasonable as far as the seller. They don't have a true plan yet, but I do like a lot of the direction of where this is going. Anticipated price from a 700 collection practice is probably... 600 number one doctor in this case seller one hygienist so this practice on the surface really really screams one doctor where the seller would sell to the buyer and the buyer would buy this 100 i don't know the rest of this story yet but i do like how it is evolving if the senior doctor was draw a line in the sand and I want to work for five years, no matter how much she loves this practice, location, Mm -hmm. you know, the boyfriend, fiance, the husband lives, you know, here, I live here, my parents live here, we're charging $1,400 crowns, we could charge in 2000 because this location, he or she's referring this out, like, so all those things that we'll talk about as far as what the opportunity is, is we'll need to assess those. But that one is an example of I like how much that she loves it. I like high level on the numbers on collections and overhead. It's not going to work if the senior doctor is not open and willing to cut back and it's not going to work if she is not committed to maybe work in the practice for a short amount of time and then the two of them to kind of work and kind of make mm-hmm. sure it's like a work-life balance between them mm-hmm. so if it's a call it a, a dentist with a stay-home spouse with three or four kids and four hundred thousand dollars of dental school debt and they want to try to figure this out in this practice that may not work because it, it's not big enough for two doctors to maybe kind of hang around for like over mm-hmm. a couple of year period so I just, I really like to ask a lot of questions about these buyers and sellers to figure out how it's going to work and they both be okay. And I told the senior doctors like, you need to look at it from her perspective. How much money does she need to make? Yeah. And again, that's my question to you, buyer. How much money do you need to make to make this transition successful? What are the minimum expectations from a financial planning that you need to make your house work? And let's kind of understand what that number is so we can attack some of these opportunities. Because if we can get through that, then it's funny how some of these practices will be the don't mess it up turn into I don't think this is the right fit to I'm doubting this is going to be the right fit as I prep for a call. And then I'm like, I get super excited by the end Mm -hmm. of it you know
0: yeah and i think that's so interesting you mentioned like the what do they need and having both buyers and sellers understand that because what we find with some it's getting better but some of our more established clients kind of selling their practice that are smaller and they don't haven't needed the cash flow they were happy with where the practice is but it does net less and it kind of get offended if you say, hey, this doesn't really net enough for someone Mm -hmm. to kind of have the interest. It's not because it's not enough. It's because it's not enough for that buyer who is coming out with those student loans, right? So it's interesting because the sellers will say, well, I don't know if they can get financing for the practice because they have all these student loans and they likely can't get a loan, but yet they don't consider that when they look at what their cash flow is and saying, hey, a buyer's gonna have to live on this paid debt service and pay their student loans and their life expense, where I, you know, as the established doctor, I don't have those expenses anymore, right? Like, I'm living like whatever life I've built on this cash flow and I'm completely happy with it, but it doesn't translate to most buyers. And so that's a hard conversation to have of like understanding it. it's not a dig on your practice, it's not a bad thing. It's just that practice now has a very unique audience that either has the spousal income or has the entrepreneurial spirit or it's a second location or whatever it is to. To make that work for them. So yep. I think that's important, just like that mindset and really kind of thinking and again, putting yourself in another person's shoes and saying like, is this enough for someone else? And if not, what is my audience and how am I going to like transition that practice?
1: Yeah. So. We're going to set us up in the next episode or in the episode coming up uh, is I just had like a couple of recent deals where the seller is asking ridiculous amount, like, over, we're going to have to overpay for these practices. And so I want to walk you through some of those scenarios on another episode, because I think it's, those are also just as equally as fun Oh yeah, to look at and to try to figure out, do we overpay? Because again, the surface will tell us that maybe, oh my God, why are they trying to sell it for that high? But you dig into it and if it makes sense, it makes sense. So yeah. those will be fun to tackle as well.
0: Yeah. Another thing we talk about on episode 36 is outside of financials is like the work, mm-hmm. right? The type of that's being done the type of dentistry that's not being done what's being referred out what's the mix of doctor hygiene and what's the patient mix right and kind of does that patient mix fit what I can do what can I add to that patient mix from a referral base what are your thoughts when I kind of talk about that any recent examples or kind of don't mess it ups that we have there
1: yeah I thought it was crazy so one of the practices I just recently looked at it had dental supplies It is for an orthodontic practice and it was at 3% had no lab so I was like, that's not, that? that's not possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. So literally, you know, my, I can't believe I have this kind of worthless knowledge, but your, I'm like, "Okay, well, <laughs> if they're using twin brackets and they're getting those twin brackets for $1.40, <laughs> there's 28 teeth multiplied by how many cases I'm estimating. Holy crap. That is correct. They could actually do that. And if there was all Invisalign or no Invisalign and just twins. And sure enough, It's like, so there are times the numbers in the practice you can actually look at and see, okay, so that's how they got maybe the overhead down. Or you can look at it on the orthodontic side and see their lab and know, okay. I know this is how many Invisalign or aligner cases that they're running. So by specialty, I certainly want to look at the various percentages and breakdowns between general dentistry and hygiene. I want to look at the individual hygienist production collections and compare that to what the revenues are. That's super important because I think that, you know, in a high hygiene practice, meaning that it's over like 30 to 35% of the overall practice, there's a lot of restorative dentistry that's Mm -hmm. inside of that type of practice. If it's the opposite to where it's a very high-end restorative restorative practice and a very small amount of hygiene, then it's an opportunity to grow the hygiene pool as well. And so depending on how much hygiene, depending on even certain fees and depending on certain expense categories, those also tell me stories of opportunity that we want to work on. But again, back to your point is you you know, When you're purchasing a practice, you're always looking at the basic, Can you do the dentistry? And then obviously for some of the smaller practices that I talked about earlier, a lot of those practices, many, many times, there's a lot of dentistry inside. They're just not mm-hmm. diagnosing. They're not marketing to that maybe patient. And they're certainly not treating that. It's, it's being treated outside. So as we do a lot more due diligence is we want to get into some of those procedure mixes and patient mixes to identify, again, what we really, really like about the practice, being healthy and financially sound to this is a challenge but here's another opportunity that I think that we can grow. And that's obviously not what we're doing, but I love to kind of push that young clinician or established doctor to think about what's inside their business, you know, and what can that young person bring and what can this young person, if they're purchasing a practice, what are they going to do to maybe help on the growth standpoint? Well, and I
0: think those things push it from a, I don't know, sell me to like a, oh, okay, I totally see your vision. Have you done your homework? And for some of the people we talk to that become our clients, they've done their homework, right? They know this is a bread and practice I can do they're referring out x indo and x or you know surgeries and I can do those things and like your example of your of your ortho practice if you've got a really streamlined orthopractice practice that does no aligner but you are a buyer who maybe has a passion for that and wants to add that then your practice has the profitability to be able to support you growing that, right? And kind of bringing that on. And so I just think looking at the work that's being done and clearly making sure you can do it is like number one rule, but then seeing where are the opportunities for me to grow this practice and take that 450 with only 125 net and easily bump it up to that next level. And and the questions you should know and ask are like, do the patients exist to do this, right? Like you know your demographics. And then two, like what is actually coming in to that office that is then being referred out, right? Like a very easy growth is, well, I refer out, you know, seven root canals a month and you can easily do those, but I've just never had any interest versus I can do endo, but like, that's not something that's being referred out of this office. And so I'm going to have to go market or build those referral relationships to kind of get that growth. So I think it just really depends on understanding what is there and what's not.
1: Yeah. We can't underestimate the importance of how much you have to go in and do the due diligence on these mm-hmm. patients. So I, I want if there's active patients because the broker is saying, hey, there's a thousand active patients, I need for you to go in and do the chart audit and, and go back and look at those episodes to figure out how to do chart audits. But I need to know what active charts are. Then inside those, if just like you said, if it was seven root canals, then okay, one was uh, you know, a molar, you know, third molar that I maybe can't do that too complex so let's just be conservative so you can do five canals you know out of the seven then we'll refer out one or two okay great so what is that fee? A thousand dollars. Great. So that's gonna be another sixty thousand. Let's do the same thing down the line with you know extractions down the line with all the procedures that you can do, and then just start to give some really good estimates of what our growth patterns would be and what what our profitability would be there. So really good understanding of the patients that you're purchasing, really good understanding of the patients that you can now market to, and obviously the procedures that you're going to be able to, to do inside as well as marketing to to our new patient is absolutely critical.
0: Absolutely. Another thing that some people focus on, right, wrong, or indifferent, is real estate. And so we've done a few episodes about real estate. We did episode 18, the building, and then episode 20, going on a site visit, like what to pay attention to in a site visit if you're looking at a practice and looking at that real estate. I think we talked about in the last episode or one of the last episodes about people who say, I, I have to buy the real estate and the practice together and why you really shouldn't ever have to do that. but what do you think when you kind of think about the real estate, like what factors would make it a, hey, don't mess this up versus like a buyer beware when we consider like the real estate and the space?
1: Well, it's always interesting. People are super passionate about real estate. I mean, they're <laughs> they like, really are. I got to have it. You know, I got to <laughs> have the real estate. If I can't buy the practice, I'm not buying the real estate. Let me give you an example when I could care less. Let's say you're an endodontist. Let's say you run a million three practice and let's say you're in, I don't know, this new model where there's 10 dentists, and they're all on the corner and you're in the back crappy spot and you have a rent of 1200 bucks, you run a million three practice and you have a 30% overhead. I could care less if you buy the real estate. Mm -hmm. I could care less. It's who cares? Who cares? You're making whatever, $800,000. You want to invest in real estate? Go invest in some real estate outside of this little location that you're in. Mm -hmm. You don't need it. And it's so, are there times I'm like, absolutely. Like, you tell me it's a 2,500, 2,800 square foot facility. It's on the corner of A and B. Great traffic, good sign. I mean, it's just. Awesome. You, 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 you got to see this. Please go online and look at this. And it's a reasonable price. And we've thought about number of chairs and expansion and kind of where you are. It's a
0: growing population. Yeah. It's The population's growing in the area of your building.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, there's sometimes too, like the building may be for sale, you're thinking about it, but you're not thinking that far into the future. And it, it's going to limit us on space. It could mm-hmm. be a maybe it's a four chair practice that might get that fifth chair. You know, understand if we're talking general dentistry, that's going to limit you to. Probably a million three practice. It's mm-hmm. probably going always going to be a one doctor practice and never a two doctor. If that has ever been a part of your vision, I don't know. You're buying a piece of real estate that's going to be. I don't know you're gonna hold on to it for 20 something years. You're basically committing at day one that you're not gonna ever have a partnership. It's okay to lease. Mm-hmm. Sign a five-year lease with a five-year extension, get to know what you like about the building, decide to maybe buy that building five years later. The lease you get a deduction for it. So it's not like the only thing you're maybe gaining is you know some equity mm-hmm. uh, in the real estate. As we talk today, we've got rising interest rates. When rising interest rates happen, it's gonna affect the economy. It's Mm -hmm. certainly gonna affect real estate. So we've always been from this unbelievable, real estate goes up, real estate goes up, but I promise you there are cases when real estate goes down Mm -hmm. and that's the time you don't wanna hold real estate. So buy the business because the business makes sense. That will come with a lease and come with a building. Purchase the building because it makes financial sense from a long term that you can grow into it. You love it. It's the perfect location. And then, you know, I can go through the million examples by specialty of what what space you need, one doctor, two doctor. But just understand, look at your situations and say, am I comfortable with this? And can I grow in? Do i always want to be a one doctor or always want to be a two doctor and how much space will i need if i want to continue to add on
0: yeah and you talked about location which is another really important factor that we say hey this helps me know if this is like a don't mess it up or a buyer beware like when someone says hey this is my hometown you know i've been here like this is like one of four practices like you know because if if we don't like something we always say well what else is available right if location wise this is where you want to be that's a really important factor for us to understand to know what alternatives are out there, right? Mm -hmm. Because then that tells us how we have to make this make sense or what opportunity might exist when those other practitioners decide to retire or who's gonna be moving into their space. So location, most obvious, rural versus urban. What does that kind of do for you when you think about kind of don't mess it up versus buyer beware from a location standpoint?
1: Yeah, I like to think about first location within the area you wanna be. Mm -hmm. And I think about the location just in general, as far as like, I'm from Texas, my wife from Texas, Texas and we're going to South Carolina and we're about ready to have kids and all of our parents are here. I mean, Those things I kind of look at completely differently. I'd say the location as far as just the city itself, I want to ideally not be in the part of town that is kind of okay. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see where some of that new growth is. I'd like to see at minimum that consistency of the patient base that we are attracting and want to continue to attract. So if I'm a GP or ortho or pedo, kind of that fast growing, I want to see new home starts. I want to see road construction. I want to be in that part of town from a, if I pick the location what part and then you know I'm a city boy I don't know that I could live in a rural area my, my rural area is is like I don't know like Mexico or something that would be my my rural part of like Cabo I mean maybe you know I, I just that's just not who I am so you just have to basically sell us on that essentially sell us on you and your spouse that that makes sense to you and, and just definitely don't start going to buy homes and locking down all these no. things before you have fully like committed to that area and you own the practice, you know, for sure.
0: Yeah. And I think going and exploring the space, like that feels from a buyer's perspective, expensive to like fly there and like stay at a hotel and drive around. But like on paper, it's very different than like committing to even people who say, Hey, I'm going to go do a site visit, but I'm going to wait till like later in the process. Like like I personally, if I was gonna go to work there and build a community there, I wanna walk around, I wanna see what's next to me. I had a buyer one time who, it wasn't disclosed, there was like a funeral home next door, which is fine, mm-hmm. but like that kind of made him uncomfortable. And so he chose to kind of, you know, he had looked at all the Google views and reviews and like that hadn't been really highlighted. I've had buyers who like the actual direct proximity to the practice was great, but like where they would have had to buy a home and had schools and all of that was not and vice versa, right? Like they wanted to live there. They knew friends who were close, but then when they drove to where the practice was, it was like a very pockety type neighborhood and that pocket wasn't what they expected. So I think it's worth the flight, at least for you. And then if your spouse, like if it's serious, like having your spouse go drive around, go to the grocery store, if you're moving, that is, like this is all like if you're relocating, but like do all the things that would make you want to say, hey, this is truly somewhere where I can see myself outside of the practice logistics because it really will make an impact. I mean, it's going to be your life for the next 30 just years. Just
1: got off the phone with a couple from Utah, and they're they're going to Florida. Yep. So same thing. Spend the time there this weekend. You know, they're driving, I think, on Wednesday or something, get there on Friday, and just spend the time there to make mm-hmm. sure. Think about in this case. Probably a church was going to be important to them. I want to think about, like, you know, here's our community. This is where I raise our family. Like, really to think about that, not just the practice and the due diligence, but certainly that location, because it's not the largest city in Florida, so... Mm-hmm.
0: Imagine that it's 900 degrees hotter because if you go this weekend, it's not going to be 900 degrees like it is in the summer. Yes.
1: Yeah, I remember. Texas. Texas uh, advice, too. This has been long enough I can tell this story. So one of the first practices I transitioned, it was in Seattle. So we purposely timed the site visit to be in the summer. (laughs) (laughs) I had been to Seattle about 20 times, about 19 too many. Dated a girl there. That's a whole other episode. But let me just tell you, it's just like they tell you. It rains in Seattle. Oh, my (laughs) God. I'm sorry if you're from Seattle. I love you. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. The biggest, most beautiful trees I've ever seen. Great. And it's great for the summer. Yeah. But there are about nine months of the year that you have a rain jacket and boots and a jacket. It's freaking cold.
0: Yeah, I know. And we're from Texas. We, yeah, I don't we, know, yeah. we only do like a month of cold. It's
1: February. Ch- the, to us, anything, I would say below like 75? Yeah. 75 is, is kind of like, yeah. you know. Especially if it's cloudy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Location yeah. is location, key. Location,
0: location, location. And that's episode 64. We kind of dive into more of the rural versus urban and just things to consider. And so highly recommend that episode as well. Other things that haven't like quite fit in here that we've touched on though, you know, patient insurance mix. Like if you are just really want a fee for service practice, like really important to talk about that. It's it's talk to colleagues. It's hard to transition a insurance based practice to fee for service, totally doable. I and mean, we've had buyers who have had that desire and kind of have started that process slowly from initial kind of personal just forward but important to kind of think about that mix medicaid you know clearly important Delta Premier, important component to talk about and think about, you know, can definitely change it from a, hey, this is a home run, it's Delta Premier, but it's almost all Delta Premier and you can't get Premier status and now that cash flow has changed, right? Maybe may be hard to kind of tell us what that change is, but it, it can happen. So that can change. You mentioned work back earlier on in the episode with that first example. We see that as probably the biggest thing that changes that cash flow and understanding what the expectations are. If the seller needs to work versus wanting to work, right. That's a big driver for us. And then the equipment and technology and kind of what that price is makes a difference, right? If we're if you're somewhere where there aren't a lot of options and it's a great practice with like great equipment and great technology and it's a little overpriced, like maybe that makes it more of a home run because your alternative is to do a startup, right? Exactly. The flip side of that can also be true as you talked about earlier. You got a low cash flow practice and you need to replace everything, carpet to the, you know, old chairs. That's gonna be hard. With not a lot of cash flow. So those other kind of non you can't see it on a financial or in a practice valuation or in some questionnaire, you're gonna have to do some diligence, do a chart audit, do a site visit, all of those we've talked about kind of various points throughout the podcast. Those are all things that we will encourage you to do after we've done an initial call, we've looked at those financials. We're gonna ask you all these questions. And if you don't know them off the bat, that's okay. But they're all things you're gonna need to know as you do your diligence on your path to ownership. So what did I miss there?
1: I would say just touch again on some of that equipment those are investments i think the doctor working back for you you know is an investment but we can budget for that You know, so if we need $50,000 of equipment this year, 100,000, we can budget that and we can finance that, put it over a 10 year period and say, hey, here's your payment now on the practice, here's the payment now on the equipment. It could be a a short term relationship you have with the senior doctor. So if the senior doctor has, you know, traditionally doing $3,000 days, he's got a percentage of 35%, so he's gonna get paid $1,000, we can budget for that. Mm -hmm. He works one day a week, she works two days a week, That's a hundred thousand, fifty thousand. So we can play with that and then just show you okay, at year one or six months, it's not as exciting, maybe, as you wanted, but with some growth, with this investment in technology, with he or she phasing out of the practice, this is what year two looks like. Or after the six months, here's what calendar year maybe 23 or 24, whatever that year is. And to really try to paint you a picture. So that that's the fun part. Don't get so anxious about the investment with he or she working back or with some equipment and so upset about maybe the Delta Premier until we really see it. If it's a 20% number, we can factor that in and show you exactly what that's going to be. And then ultimately, again, this is your decision to make and not ours. We're here to kind of help help facilitate that. So
0: Absolutely. And so as a final note, because we always like to end on this little, little positive note, we'll leave you this. Even though there may be something better out there, And even though I always liken this to a wedding dress, like you find your wedding dress, you don't try on more wedding dresses, you don't look at other wedding dresses, and you don't judge other people's wedding dresses because one opportunity may look better to you than it does to someone else, right? It may, your opportunity may not be a fit for your colleague or someone you graduated with. Everyone has a list of priorities, a list of goals, a list of things they're looking for in the ultimate practice that they wanna become an owner and the practice they want to build. And so it's important to be educated, do your diligence, and but honestly just be honest with yourself about what your goals are and what you want where you want to be where you want to land and what you want kind of your world to look like and then go create it you know go find it and it might take longer it might fall in your lap sooner than you thought right
1: you may like the tootsie roll in the easter egg <laughs> I'm the almond joy. Okay. So both of us my we found zone. eggs. We found our opportunity. It's just a matter of what is more important to each of us. That's right. Right. See? Yeah. Full
0: circle team. You Full were wondering where I was going circle. my Easter egg. I, I had a plan. No,
1: I didn't, but I had a plan. <laughs> it works though.
0: <laughs> all right, team. That's all we have for today. Thank you for joining us on episode seventy two of Transition Talk. As always, make sure to share Transition Love with those who may not know of us yet. And of course, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And And if you have questions or a topic, feel free. You know, Sunam sent us an episode idea and here we are. So feel free to submit your ideas by filling out a contact form on our website. And until next time, friends.
1: Awesome. Thank you.